All right, Jonah, are you there? Minor prophet, Old Testament. So find Matthew and just start backing up through those those uh, minor prophets until you get to Jonah. What I'm going to do is we're going to look at both of uh, the first two chapters. Okay, so it's four chapters. We're going to look at two this week, probably two next week. Uh, I'm only going to read the first chapter, and then we'll actually kind of work through the second chapter toward the end of the sermon. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to read the first chapter of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose and fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, So the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. They said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account has this evil come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Father in heaven, we marvel at your mercy Uh, God, I I marvel this morning that you're a pursuing God. Father, I marvel that you come after us, that you, God, you chase us down. Uh, God, that is spectacular. Father, thank you for your steadfast love and your abounding mercy and your incredible grace. Father, I pray that we would be a people who are changed by that grace, changed by that mercy. God, I pray that you would 
Teach us to give that mercy to others, particularly those who we feel don't deserve it. Father, we ask for help and grace this morning. We ask for changed hearts. We ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to move and work among us. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now I know that uh, this is a biblical book that uh, has an account in it of a man being swallowed by a large fish or a whale and living in that fish or whale uh, three days or at least parts of three days and then being spit out onto dry land. And some of you may uh, just immediately hear that and think, well, this must be a parable. This must be uh, some kind of moral story with a good lesson, you know, some kind of fable that has a teaching lesson. I want you to know that is not at all the truth. In 2 Kings chapter 14, 25, we read uh, that there was a real guy named Jonah who was a real prophet of Israel who lived during the 15th year of Amaziah, at least in 2 Kings chapter uh, 14, it says in verse 25, it says, uh, he restored the border of Israel from uh, Labo Hamath, as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai. So this is a real guy. Uh, Jonah's not a made-up figure. He's not an allegory. He's not a parable. Uh, this is a real historical guy who lived and who, who was a prophet and who spoke the word of God and who rebelled and who was swallowed by a great fish and who was spit out onto dry land, all right? Like, th- this, this really happened. It, it bothers me a bit, uh, the skepticism that, that I see at times, that God does the miraculous, you know? Uh, I know people have, have researched and found folks that actually were swallowed by whales or fish and lived. I know there's some kind of account of this happening and guy was in there for 15 hours. You know, listen, I, 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 that's great, but like I, I don't care about that at all from the standpoint of I expect God to do the miraculous. Like, like this idea that there's this almighty God that spoke the universe into existence and yet he doesn't do anything different than anybody else. That, that is strange to me. That is weird to me. Like, like who would believe that? This whole, whole wanting to discount the miraculous things that God has done. Folks, listen, it's not a problem for the God who spoke the world into existence and sustains it by his very word. Oxygen and uh, space are really not a problem for him for a man inside of a fish, okay? Like, it's just not a deal. Like, I, I don't know why it's a deal to anybody when we're talking about the supernatural. That's not too hard for God. The logistics of that are not too hard for God, okay? The God who in, in the Old Testament parted seas and fed a nation in the wilderness with manna from heaven for 40 years. The God who made the sun, you know, stand still and go backward. I mean, that it's not a problem for God to do miraculous things, okay? He's God, all right? So this is a real story. And Jonah is a real prophet, And Jonah is a prophet whom God gave a message to cry out to the people of Nineveh. 
Kenneth, we just talked about prophecy last week, and this is a classic example of prophecy in the Old Testament where God would give a message, God would give a word, God would give a, a, a particularly a, a timely word. That, that, that's very important here in Jonah chapters, uh, chapter 3, as we'll see in just a second, where God would give a timely message to his prophet to give to, in this case, a certain people, okay? Now, who are those people? Well, the people are the Ninevites, all right? At this time, the Ninevites, uh, Nineveh was a city, uh, probably most scholars say, most archaeologists say, most historians say, probably the most uh, populous, probably the most powerful city in the world at this time, all right? So this is like a New York, this is like a Beijing, this is like a London, this is like a Paris, all right? This, this, this is, a, this is a, a, a huge, important city. It's an Assyrian city. Uh, it would be in modern-day Iraq, if, you, if you're interested in kind of a, just getting the geography there. Probably in northern Iraq, probably is where, where it would be. And the Assyrians were known to be a brutal people. They were kind of the guys on top. They were kind of on top of the world at this time. They were conquering everybody, and they were known for their incredible brutality when they would conquer people. In fact, if you, if you turn in your Bible just a couple pages um, more, just, just like a couple pages toward the back, you'll hit the little book of Nahum. And in the book of Nahum, Nahum actually has a prophecy against the city of Nineveh. Let me just read it to you real quick. I think you'll get a little bit of feel for how the Israelites saw, how the world saw the people of Nineveh. He says, woe to the bloody city. This is uh, Nahum chapter 3, verse 1. Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to, it, to the prey, the crack of the whip, the rumble of the wheel, galloping horses, bounding chariots, horsemen charging, flashing swords, glittering spears, hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies, and all for the countless whorings of the prostitute, graceful of the deadly charms, who betrays nations with their whorings and peoples with their charms. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will lift up your skirts over your face, and I will make nations look at your nakedness and kingdoms at your shame. I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle, and all who look at you will shrink away from you. Wasted is Nineveh. Who will grieve for her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Okay, that, they, he doesn't like them. Did you pick that up at all? Did anybody pick that up that, uh, hey, these guys are not liked. Like, like, this is a bad place, okay? These are a brutal people, all right? And, and so, so Jonah has been given a message, a timely message, like, like it has a 40-day expiration on it, okay? It's a timely message to give to the people of Nineveh. And if you go into chapter 3 of Jonah, we'll look at this next week, but here's the message, all right? This is the message that he's supposed to give. Uh, Jonah chapter 3, verse 4, Jonah began to, to go into the city a day's journey, and he called out, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. All right, so essentially the message that Jonah is to give to the Ninevites is, hey, you got 40 days. The clock is ticking. Like God's gonna wipe you out. God's gonna destroy you. God has had enough of your wickedness and of your sin and he's gonna wipe you out. It's a call, it's a, it's a warning, it's a call to judgment, but within God's call to judgment, there is the possibility of repentance. That, that's why God brings warnings, okay? There are people in the world that just hate when Christians talk about hell and talk about 
in eternal place of suffering, in the lake of fire, in the almighty judgment of God. Listen, those things are in the Bible as a mercy. Like, they're in the Bible as a mercy. If, if this were just, hey, Jonah, go give them a heads up that I'm about to wipe them out and there's nothing they can do about it. Hey, Jonah would have been all over that, man. He'd have been pumped up about that. He'd been pumped up about the guy that gets to say, ha, ha, you're about to get it, okay? But Jonah knows that within God's warning, within God's proclamation of the coming judgment, there is this possibility of repentance and being saved. That's the calling of the prophet. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 8, there's this stern kind of passage to believers, prophets, but I think it extends to believers, those who know about the coming judgment. In Ezekiel 33, and in verse 8, God says, If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity but his blood I will require at your hand. In other words, it's a serious thing to know that judgment is coming. See, now, now Jonah knows, man, it, it's coming. Like, it is coming for these people. They're going to perish. And, and Jonah is commissioned here not to bring the judgment, not, not, not to pull the trigger. Jonah is commissioned to give them warning. We see this happening all, all through the Bible, actually. Um, Acts chapter 8, this is an individual one that I thought of. Acts chapter 8, verse 21, Peter gives this warning to a particular man. Uh, he's a guy named Simon. He says, you, neither have, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Right? Like, like Peter just gives a specific warning to this guy. Man, your heart is not right. Like you're, you're under the judgment of God. You're bound up in your iniquity. You, you better pray and just see if God won't turn away his wrath. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Do you see why those passages are there? They're, they're, they're mercy, guys. Those are mercy. Jesus is saying, I, I, I want you to know there are people who think that they're fine and they're not fine. I want you to know there are people that are in church and they're, they, they have a Bible and, and, and they've been to Sunday school and they think they're okay. They're not okay. That's, that's a mercy. And so here in Jonah, people are going to perish. And God tells Jonah that in a little over a month, 40 days, they're going to be destroyed. They're going to burn forever in eternal hell. And God has called this guy to warn them, to shake them in their sin, to call them to get right with God. And Jonah says, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. Now there. I know you, we just read out of Nahum, right? 
about, about Nineveh and about the brutality, but you, you know what's true of every city, right? In Nineveh, there were, there's soccer moms and there's shopkeepers and there's teenagers getting ready to graduate from school and there's grandmas cooking, baking cookies for their grandkids and there's little kids going to preschool. We're about to enter into hell. And God calls Jonah to warn them. And Jonah says, nah. Actually, we don't know that he said no. Um, I don't think it says that he said no, uh, audibly at least. Um, that'd be pretty brazen to just, you know, shake your fist at God and say no. I don't, I don't know very many people that do that, particularly believers. But instead, what he, what he does is what a lot of us do. He just doesn't do what God's telling him to. Does that make sense? Like, I, I, I don't see a huge fit here. I don't see him being like, God... Not yet, anyway. You get to see a fit in chapter four. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's not like, God, I'm not going. I'm just not. I'm not. No, I'm not going to go. He, he just does what a lot of people do today. They hear a commission from God and they just are like, lawn needs mowed. You guys want to go to the lake? Hey, let's, uh, let's go do this. He just ignores God and goes the other way. Literally, he goes the other way. He, he does something else, but he, but he literally goes the other way, right? So verse two, he said, arise, go to Nineveh, right? That's east, okay? So if you, if you can picture the Mediterranean, kind of the, the eastern edge of the Mediterranean and Israel's right there and uh, right off the, the water. And then, then if, if, if you know your geography, if you keep going kind of north and east, you'd run into modern day Iraq, you know, you'd go through Syria and, and then it was Samaria, but then you'd go into, into what, what is now modern day Iraq and, and you'd keep going east until you got to Nineveh, right? So he's supposed to arise and go east and instead... He arises and goes west. He gets on a boat to go to Tarshish. Most people think Tarshish was in Spain, which would be about, I mean, you're talking like one end of the world to the other end of the world, really, for, for, for a Jewish person. Like, like he's supposed to go to this end of the world, and he, he says, no, I'm going to the other end. And he goes completely the other way. And, and, and the key point in verse 3 is he's going away from the presence of the Lord. You see that in verse three? That, that's important. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. In other words, he, his real motive here is not that he's always wanted a vacation in Tarshish and he heard that they've got great cottages there and there's some good snorkeling. You know, his, his real motive is, I've got to get this off of me. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do what God's telling me to do. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get away where I won't hear him. I'm going to get away where I won't, I won't have to listen to this, where I won't have to be convicted about this. He's trying to get away from God. Now, if you know your theology, man, that, that just is not something you can pull off, okay? Uh, Psalm 139, verse 7 says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. So if you know, if you know your theology, man, you can't run away from God. There's nowhere you can go to get away from him. But practically... And, and experientially, I think people try to do this all the time. People in unbelief try to get away from the presence of God. People that don't want to do what God's telling them to do. I think a way it looks a lot of times is God just becomes distant to us. 
Uh, God becomes somewhat unreal to us. I, I think if you will review in your mind, if, you, if you'll, uh, when you fall into temptation and when you blow it, when you fail, I think if you'll walk through that in your mind, I think you will find that what happened right before you fell into temptation was you begin to distance yourself from God. In your mind, he became less real to you. You, you didn't want to talk about him. You didn't want to think about him. You didn't want to, uh, you didn't want to rehearse his word or his promises or pray. You, you really were, you were getting some distance, at least in your mind, away from God. Jonah's doing that on a radical level. He's, he is avoiding conviction. He's avoiding God's truth. He's avoiding people and places where he might be reminded of God's holy standard and what, what, how he's falling short. I think that's why people in a season of unbelief will almost always distance themselves from worship and other believers and small group. That's why we get scared, you know? Like when, when you disappear, you know? Sometimes we show up and we're like, man, where you been? And you're like, oh, come on, you know? Didn't, don't you remember we had, you know, 29 softball tournaments, you know? And sometimes it's like, oh, okay, oh, yeah, yeah, 29 saw you know, but, but that, that's why we get a little scared because whenever people pull away, whenever they start getting distance, sometimes that, that means what it means here in Jonah. In Jonah's case, he's getting as far away as possible from the people and the place that God has called him to. He's running from God because he doesn't trust God. He's got a pocket of unbelief in his life. Okay? He didn't trust that God is right on this, that, that the Ninevites should be warned, that they should have an opportunity for God's mercy. God says, yes, they should. Jonah says, no, they shouldn't. There, there's, there's an unbelief. Jonah is not trusting God. I mean, all sin is rooted in unbelief, right? This is what we would call a sin of omission, okay? Omission, as, as opposed to a sin of commission, all right? So the sin of commission is when you break God's commandments, you break God's law. So, so you steal or you lie or you cheat or you, you're sexually impure or fornication or adultery or lust or you dishonor your parents or you take the Lord's name in vain. In other words, you do something that's sin. Right? That's a sin of commission. Like here's God's command and you're like, you break it. Okay? A sin of omission is when you don't do what you know you ought to be doing. So James 4.17 says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. If you know the right thing to do and yet you fail to do it, for him it's sin. Now, a lot of times with sins of omission, we are great at justifying them, right? Like, if I were Jonah in this situation and you confronted me, I'd be like, what? What? What's wrong? What's wrong with a cruise? Don't I deserve a vacation? Like, what is wrong with a little Mediterranean cruise? You're saying something's wrong with that? I haven't had vacation in five years. I've been a prophet in Israel. I've done all this, and all I want to do is get in on the boat and do a little fishing. And now that's that's some kind of sin, right? We're really good at that, right? Because because sins of omission, we can really justify because we're not we're not doing anything. That's the problem, right? We're not doing anything. He can make the case, I'm not harming anybody. I'm not stealing. I'm not lying. I'm not cheating. I, I paid the fare to be on the boat. I'm, I'm not doing anything. But he's not doing what God called him to do. 
My friend, some people live much of their Christian life in sins of omission. Like, it's clear. It's clear to them. They should be, they should be immersed in the Scriptures. They should be people of prayer. They should be, they should be sharing the gospel. They should be making disciples. And, and it's, it's not that they're doing anything that's sin, right? They're just not doing anything. They're not doing what God's called them to do. Okay, friends, here it is. It's a sin to say no to the mission. It, it's a sin to be like, God, I want your salvation. I want your salvation. I want you to save me. I, I, I want the gospel. I, I, want, I want Jesus. I, I, want to, I want to turn from my sins and put my faith in Jesus and repent and, and, and be tethered to him and, and have resurrection life. I want that. I, but I, I, I'm just, I, don't, I don't want to do what you say, though. Like after that, I, kind of, I say no to this mission thing. Sunday school teacher, those kids, kids today, they're just on their devices all the time, and they are not what kids used to be, and I, I don't have no patience for no lip like Dirk's kids give. You know, team kid worker, children's church, true speaker, share the gospel. It's not, it's not my deal. Sometimes we pull the Moses deal. I may go to Moses after I go to Jonah. You know, the Moses deal. I can't talk. I can't this. I can't that. I can't, you know, like all that. Started a DT group. Person next to me in my cubicle at work. What? The heart problem with Jonah. Here's the way, if I was trying to, and this, this is a fantastic book, by the way. There are a thousand different directions to go with the book of Jonah. It is written so masterfully, okay? But, but as, as I'm preaching in the next two weeks, I, I really believe the heart problem of Jonah is he doesn't have God's heart, okay? That's the, that's the problem. That's why he's on the boat to Tarshish and not on his way to Nineveh. It's because he does not have God's love. Heart, he doesn't love what God loves. He doesn't hate what God hates. Jonah does not celebrate God's mercy and grace. He does not value what God values, particularly God's grace to certain people. People he feels are undeserving. By the way, Jonah's not alone in the scriptures. Uh, Let me give you some other famous um, people that miss this. Okay, there's a story in Luke 15 about the prodigal son. Remember that? Dude's like, Dad, dude, I, I can't stand being around you anymore. You know, like we just butt heads and I am so sick of you. Just, just give me my money. Like whatever, wouldn't you die finally? You know, whatever, whatever was coming to me, just give that to me now so that I can get away from you, away from you. The father gives him his inheritance and he goes away. Right? Squanders the thing on loose living, prostitutes, partying up. Pretty soon, there's a famine. God sends a famine. God sends storms, famines. Okay, that, we're coming to that, all right? There's a famine, and all of a sudden, he is in trouble. He's in trouble. Man, he's starving to death. He's, he's working with a pig farmer, and the pig slop looks like a buffet. It looks like Golden Corral. Like, he, he longs for it, and all of a sudden, he comes to his sins. He's like, what am I doing? My dad's hired hands, the bottom 
servants of my dad live better than I do. And, and he rehearses his repentance speech and he, and, and he heads back and he's cresting the hill and there's his dad waiting at the gate and his dad runs to him and, and he starts to say, Dad, I've really blown it. I'm just a worthless wretch of a son. Is that a shh? He, he grabs him up in an embrace and puts a robe on him, puts a ring on his finger and, and new sandals and calls for the fatted calf to be, be slain. Tell all the neighbors barbecue tonight, big party. A son who is lost has come home and the father just showers this grace and mercy on him. And then here comes older brother from the back 40. He'd been plowing that day. Comes over the hill and says, what's the party for? Your brother came home. That, sorry, no good piece of trash. Dad didn't boot him back to whatever filthy hole he came out of. He can't stand it. Can't stand it that God's given mercy. This guy, he thinks, needs judgment. And the Gospels are full of these, um, these stories of Jesus sitting down and having supper with notorious sinners. And man, it just crawls all over the scribes and Pharisees. That Jesus is, is giving mercy and grace to these people that don't deserve it. They just they choked on God's lavish mercy. And you know, I wonder, in the same way, I wonder if, if there are people that you just don't think deserve salvation. Maybe somebody's hurt you. Maybe somebody's hurt your family. That's even worse. Maybe it's just people that you can't stand. You can't stand their views. You absolutely abhor them. I was with a guy this week, and I, I told him, I said, I'm preaching through Jonah, and he's like, man, let, let's, let's talk through it. So we kind of talked through the first couple chapters, and uh, this guy said, he said, uh, it's kind of like if God would call me to go share the gospel with Nancy Pelosi. And that's, that's, that's what, it was his interpretation. <sighs> For others of you, it might, might be, you know, the other way. Maybe it's that God would call you to go share the gospel with President Trump, you know, or Whatever, right? Maybe it's a group, lots of groups today that, man, you just can't, you just can't be okay with them. And, and you don't want them to discover the beauty of the gospel. You don't want them to experience God's mercy. You, you're kind of wanting judgment. Well, Jonah's running from the presence of the Lord. Instead of obeying, he does something else. And then, and then there's this. God comes after him. That's so beautiful, isn't it? That God, that God just doesn't let him go. I mean, I, that's amazing. Like, God does not need Jonah. He does not need Jonah to do his work, okay? God, if God wants to save the Ninevites, he can save them through a slave girl in the slums of Nineveh or a shepherd boy herding sheep outside of Palestine or a talking donkey if he wants to. God used all three of those in the Old Testament. God can use anybody he wants. But he, he goes after this self-righteous prophet who thinks he's better than these pagans. He's too, too good for the dirty sinners. 
that God is calling him to go through. I, I just marvel that God pursues us, that he comes after us. Listen, if you're a born-again believer, I, I want you to know you didn't find Jesus. Jesus found you. He, he came after you. It, it wasn't like, you know, he was out kind of doing his own thing and you, you just stumbled upon him and, and, and you, you went, no, 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 no. He, he came after you. <laughs> blows me away. I don't know if it blows you away. It blows me away. He, he pursues us. That he, that he won't let us go. And so what does God do? God sends a storm. You know, I, I think it would do us well if we, if we would, would give maybe a little bit of time to reinterpreting some of the things in our life. A lot of times, some of the worst things in our life, some of the scariest things in our life, sometimes some of the most horrible things in our life are actually means of mercy to bring us back. When you look through the Bible uh, in the prodigal son, what, what, what's the famine about? In, in the prodigal son, you know what the famine is? That's God saying, all right, buddy, I gotta bring you back. I gotta bring you back to the Father. Here on the Mediterranean, Jonah just wants to get this thing off of him and just rest in the ship. And he encounters the most fiercest, horrific hurricane of a storm that any sailor's ever seen. Verse 4 says, God hurls. I like this. If you have the ESV, again, the language of Jonah is so beautiful. But hurl is used like three times in chapter 1. Um, it's kind of a cool word, but anyway, so the, it says in verse four, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So God, God is, what's, what's the storm about? God's not letting Jonah continue in sin. That's a beautiful thing. When, when you, when you read like Hebrews 12 in the New Testament, you find that God disciplines those who he loves, that, that, that God chastens those who are his. You find this incredible truth that God won't let you stay in sin. If you can stay in sin, you're not a believer. Please hear that out. You are not a believer. If you, if you can just stay in habitual sin, then you don't have what John calls the seed. No, you don't have the God's seed, God's Holy Spirit. You don't have that in you, okay? Because those who are God's, God will not allow you just to live in habitual sin. He's gonna come after you. He's gonna send, sometimes he's gonna send a storm. He's gonna, he's gonna remove all the other options. He's gonna box you in. He's gonna bring conviction. He's gonna bring the word of God. I think it's worth noticing that when we sin, when we're disobedient, when we're rebellious, other people suffer. Um, and these poor sailor dudes, this, this was the worst job of their life, okay? I mean, Jonah has really messed it up for them. Verse five, then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled, there's that word hurled again, they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. And these guys are, these guys are in the fight of their life. There's business owners that had put their products on the ship to ship them around the Mediterranean. They just lost all their profit because Jonah is in sin, because Jonah is not doing what God called him to do. Have you, have you ever imagined that if you're not doing what God called you to do, other people might be suffering? And other people might be really having it because you won't be obedient to the Lord. Your sin affects the people around you. King David sinned and his family had 
horrific turmoil for generations. The 10 spies bring back an unbelieving, faithless report to the Israelites about the promised land. And a generation wanders in the wilderness and dies off and never sees the promised land. Your sin affects others. It's interesting to me in verse 5 that the pagan sailors are in the fight of their life and they're each crying out to their God. Have you seen that? All right. They, they, they don't have real gods, okay? I mean, all they've got are these worthless idol, idols, false gods. And it's interesting that the one man who knows the true God, he's the guy that's not praying. This, this book is full of those rich ironies, okay? Like, like you have the prophet, you got the believer, you've got the guy that knows God, he is the guy that's not praying. All the other guys, they ain't got nothing, okay? But whatever God they've heard of, they're calling out. Like, they're praying. Except Jonah. He's sleeping. Which I think is a rich metaphor for believers. Jonah literally has lost people perishing right outside his cabin door. I don't know if he had a cabin door, but wherever he's at in the ship. Right outside, you know, the ship. There's literally lost people about to perish, and he's sleeping. He's sleeping. The captain wakes Jonah, asks him to pray again. What irony. There's this, I picture like Captain Hook, you know, peg leg. You know, he's got these horrible tattoos. You can't tell if it's a dolphin or a naked Phoenician lady, you know. I mean, he's got all, you know, he's just this messed up dude. And he's, you know, eye patch. And he's like, get up and pray to your God. Got to tell the prophet to pray. Ask him a bunch of questions. Man, where are you from? Like, where, where are your people? What'd you do? We find the first glimmer of repentance for Jonah in verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you've done for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of God because he told them. He's honest about him. He tells them, I'm, I'm fleeing from the presence of God. Verse 11, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us for the sea grew more and more tempestuous and he said, pick me up and hurl me. There it is again, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you for I know it is because of me. It is because of me that this great tempest is upon you. I've always wondered at Jonah at this particular point. Like he knows God's got him. Like I can't run. Like he just, he just wanted to, Get out, get away, get this off of him. I actually think 40 days he'd have come back. That, that's my personal opinion. Like, like, he just wants to get away for 40 days. Like, if God's going to destroy these people, his enemies, these people he hates in 40 days, he's like, I'm going to go on a cruise, uh, you know, of uh, a three-month cruise, get this thing off me, let the judgment of fall, God fall, and then I'm coming back. I'm coming back to Israel. I think that's probably what he was going to do. But he's caught. And I don't know if at this point, I, here, here's the option. I don't know if it's if the, at this point if he's just like, you know, I'd rather die than go see those guys be saved. Or if it's just, man, I, I am so messed up and I'm so, this happens to people. I'm in such disobedience that I just don't even know what to do. People get there. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do from this point. Maybe it was depression, maybe it was guilt, maybe it's feeling of too late. But he says, throw me overboard. Verse 13, they don't want to. These guys are great. I would have loved to meet these sailors, you know? I mean, in a pinch. Like, like he says, throw me overboard, he'll stop. And verse 13 says, nevertheless, the men rode hard. Man, they get on the road. Yeah, we don't want to throw this guy. It, 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 another bitter irony, okay? 
Jonah does not care if the pagan Ninevites die and go to hell. These pagan, probably Phoenicians, care deeply about Jonah's life. Do not let lost people look more merciful than believers, okay? Like, there's a great rule. Like, don't be the guy that makes Christians look less merciful than the world. They rode harder to no avail. So verse 14, they pray. They pray to, I think, Jonah's God, that they not be held accountable for throwing this guy overboard. They toss him over. Now, you've heard of uh, hitting rock bottom, right? Okay, Jonah hit rock bottom, right? Listen to while he's sinking, okay? Chapter two. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, okay, this is his account. So now he's already in the fish, starting in chapter two, but he's remembering him sinking, okay? I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me, weeds wrapped around my head. At the, I love this phrase, at the root of the mountains. You know what the root of the mountains is? That's as low as you can go, right? That's, that's essentially what he's saying. At the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Basically, what he's saying is, I was a goner. I was a goner. I, I, I was sinking to the bottom. I had seaweed wrapped around my head. I couldn't swim. I couldn't get up. I was going down to the bottom. And at the last possible second, I, I, I picture it. He's, got, he's about to you know, ex- express his final gulp of air. He's about to be done for. God saves him. Jonah, listen, listen, Jonah experiences grace, okay? Now, 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 let's think through this. This is gonna be important, all right? Here's a guy who's in rebellion against God. Here's a guy who is, who is not believing and trusting God. Here's a guy who is disobeying God's commands. He's hit rock bottom. He's a goner, and God saves him, Okay? And, and listen, Jonah celebrates God's grace, all right? In the belly of the fish, he's singing amazing grace, all right? In the belly of the fish, he is worshiping a God who saves the undeserving. Look at verse 8 and 9. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope, their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. What, what, what do you see there? Man, you see worship. You see repentance. You see uh, praise for God's steadfast love. You see thanksgiving. You see a recommitment. I'm going to vow. I'm going to repay to obedience. You see a joyful proclamation that God is the one who saves. And then look at verse 10. You see a second chance, a, a new beginning. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up on the dry land, not at Tarshish. No, that's not where he vomited up. Where did he vomit him back up? Back in Israel, right? Right back where he started. You're right back at the call of God again. He's got a second chance. And now, now here's the question. 
Will those who've been rescued by grace be willing to freely give grace to others? Don't miss that part, okay? Because that, that's, that's where we're going the next week, okay? But that's the big question, all right? So, so will those, so Jonah, undeserving, rebellious, sinner, running from God, sinks to the bottom, last possible moment. God saved him. He experiences this salvation and new beginning. Here's a guy that's experienced grace. He knows he deserved hell. If you remember the song, he was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, and from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Okay, that's Jonah. God saved him out of grace, by his mercy, completely undeserved. And now the question, does that grace change Jonah? Should that grace change Jonah? Man, you would think so. You would think so. We'll see here next week whether it changed him. But you'd sure think so. There's a great parable in the New Testament where Jesus uh, describes this um, king who is settling accounts with his servants. And he finds one servant that owes an astronomical debt. This guy, there's no way. He can work his hardest the rest of his life, and he will never be able to pay that debt. And so he's going to be thrown in jail. His family is going to be thrown in jail. And their life's going to be over. And then he drops to his knees in one final attempt and he pleads for mercy. And the king, out of sheer grace and mercy, forgives all of his debt. Have you heard this story? Forgives all of his debt. Just, it's over. It's, I mean, it's done. Like, you don't owe anything. You're free. And then the guy walks out of there a free man, down the steps, and meets one of his fellow servants that owes him 20 bucks. And he grabs him by the throat and says, you better pay me my money. The guy's like, just give me a little time. Just give me a little time. And he says, no time for you. Puts him in a headlock and he takes him to prison and he throws him in. And you remember the conversation, right, that happens next. The king hears about it and says, bring that guy back up here. Now, hold on. I gave you grace, and now you won't give it to anybody else? That's, that's what we're going to see with Jonah. Jonah was not willing to give grace, and now he's experienced this great grace. Will he be willing to give it? We'll see next week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just being so good to us in the gospel. Father, thank you for um, showing us grace upon grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the salvation that is in Christ. I thank you, Father, that we were undeserving. God, we were, we were sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. We were deeply stained within, and we were sinking to rise no more. But God, you saved us. You grabbed hold of us. You rescued us. You brought us new life. And Jesus, I, I pray, Father, that that grace would change us deeply. God, that that grace would transform the way that we treat others, the way that we think of others, the way that we think of those we disagree with, those that we don't like. 
those who have been been harsh to us, who have harmed us. God, give us your heart to the world. Send us to the world, God. Here we are, God, send us. Father, please keep, keep every person in this room from being disobedient to your call. Father, I pray that if you've called those here to do something, God, that they would be obedient to that. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Let's sing together.